we have been preparing for Easter by listening to songs and reading them. We, we, don't, we don't have the music, that we don't have the score that would have, have, would have gone under any of these words, and yet we believe that there was music, that these words were set to, to some sort of tunes. They are the songs of ascent. If, uh, if, you, if you actually literally turn in your Bible to, to Psalms 120, 121, all the way through 134, there are 15 songs that were, that were sung out loud, memorized, sung out loud by pilgrims on their way up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was one of those pilgrims. That's the powerful part about this little part of the, uh, of the Scriptures, that we knew Jesus knew all of it. Right? I mean, he was the word of God, but even as a, as, as, as a Hebrew child, he would have known all of it. He would have memorized all of it. He would have been six or seven, and he'd be able to start at one place and finish at another place. He would have just had the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. He would have had it. But, but it's powerful to think that specifically on this trip, he would have been reciting these words. And the words, the words tell about about choosing wisely, we've talked about that in the last five weeks. In the last five weeks, we've talked about choosing wisely and about giving things up. We've, we've talked about, about God providing in the midst of even trouble. We've talked about community. We've talked about joy and humility and probably two other, three other sermons that I've forgotten since then. You with me, right? But that's, that's I mean, we have been getting ourselves ready for Easter by literally hearing the words that Jesus would have been singing as he was going up to Jerusalem for what would become the first Easter. But, but the, thing, the thing about a journey, the thing about a trip like all these pilgrims would have been on, is that it's not just, it's not just the words that they were saying up here that makes the journey happen. There's also the movement underneath. Literally, literally, you can't go anywhere you can't go anywhere just sitting still. So Jesus and the disciples and all these other pilgrims would have been saying words, but they would have been moving their feet also. Think about what that means for Jesus. Th- think, about, think about the fact that, that he would have known on some level what was coming. I, uh, I, I don't have time to get off on, 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 a, on a Wesleyan theological sidetrack, but it's, it's worth pointing out that, that, that as a Methodist, uh, we, we don't believe that, that the events of that week were, were somehow predetermined or preordered uh, or, or preordained. I, I, I don't believe that. I, I don't believe that Jesus knew the exact hour I don't believe he, exact, he knew the exact method. I don't believe he knew the exact words necessarily that were all going to be said. Though I will say about the method, uh, he was a smart enough guy to know that with all the Roman soldiers that were gathering at this point in history, that there was a probable way that it might work out. I mean, I still believe that freedom was involved here. In fact, it's that freedom that makes today's message so much more significant because in the midst of his freedom and... And in the midst of knowledge of what was to come, he still put one more foot in front of another. And one more foot in front of another. There is, there is something to be said for this kind of 
of obedience. A hundred years ago, a fellow named Frederick Nietzsche offered a quote that's worth, that's worth lifting up. I think, uh, I think we've got it on a, on a screen. It says, The essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be long obedience in the same direction. There, thereby results and has always resulted in the long run something which has made life worth living. I'm going to repeat it to you. The essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be long obedience in the same direction. There thereby results and has always resulted in the long run something which has made life worth living. There it is. Nietzsche suggests that long obedience in the same direction is the stuff of a life lived well. Now here's the thing. Who in the room, who in the room is interesting, interested in living a life not well? I mean, who, who wakes up on a regular basis and says, man, I cannot, wa- I cannot wait to waste another day? Who says that? It's quite the opposite, right? The last time you got upset about something, the last time you got fired up about something, surely related back to wasted time or wasted resources because you know that life shouldn't be wasted, that it should be lived well, that life is worth living. And he says the way to do that is to be obedient for a long period of time in the same direction. I mean, we, we, think, we think of people we know, we think of even little, little creatures that run under feet that just go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And he says, no, stop it with the back and forth. Pick a place and go towards it. Long obedience. I, I, believe, I believe this is at the essence of the gospel story, and it's, it's the story that we pick up again today. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12. If you've got a Bible with you, we give these away on the, uh, on the front desk. We believe, uh, we, we believe so much in the Bible that we've bought a few hundred of them, and we give them away. And so if you need a Bible, uh, go and get one. Um, if you uh, if you want to turn on your device right now, uh, I got a couple different Bible apps that I use. So uh, so if you would swipe to find John chapter twelve or turn the page, we pick up with the story that literally is has been the destination for these five weeks. We want to find ourselves right there in Jerusalem, and here we are on the outskirts in the suburb of Jerusalem, a place called Bethany. It says, John chapter 12, verse 1, Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, home of Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Lazarus and his sisters hosted a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who joined him at the table. Then Mary took an extraordinary amount, almost three quarters of a pound of very expensive perfume. Now listen, we all know this, right? When you start measuring fluids by pounds you're talking about a lot right when you start when you start measuring a liquid 
right, by a pound, you're talking about a lot. And I know what every guy in this room is thinking. Every guy in this room is thinking, I remember that time that she put three quarters of a pound of perfume on and it stunk to high heaven. But stop, stop, stop. She didn't. It wasn't that much, okay? But three quarters of a pound? That's a lot. That's a, that's a lot. It said it was made of pure nard. Mary anointed Jesus' feet with it, then wiped his feet dry with her hair. The house was filled with the aroma of the perfume. Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, and then John is good to give us notes, the one who was about to betray him, complained. This perfume was worth a year's wages. Why wasn't it sold and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He carried the money bag and would take what was in it. Jesus said, leave her alone. This perfume was to be used in preparation for my burial. And this is how she has used it. You will always have the poor among you, but you won't always have me. Many Jews learned that he was there. They came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. We would have done the exact same thing, right? If you knew about somebody that had been dead for four or five days, so dead that they began to smell, if you knew somebody and then you heard, oh, Lazarus, he's going to be at Cracker Barrel, you'd go there too. I mean, I'm serious, you would. We'd be, we'd be piling in, we'd be, we'd be hanging over all the candy aisles and the toy aisles and all of the quilted clothing aisles that they have kind of hurts my heart because my my mom buys all those quilted clothes and wears them <clears throat> cracker barrel it's not funny <laughs> it's not funny um she might be here next week so you don't talk about her okay but but seriously i mean lazarus lazarus was a known figure and so the two of them together had drawn a crowd. It says the chief priest decided that they would kill Lazarus too. It was because Lazarus, it was because of Lazarus that many of the Jews had deserted them, deserted them and come to believe in Jesus. Now, this is the first half of the story and we continue because in John all the stories take a long time. It says, "The next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem." So they took palm branches and went out to meet him. They shouted, Hosanna, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, blessings on the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it was written in the scriptures. Don't be afraid, daughter Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And then it says in verse 16, his disciples didn't understand these things at first. After he was glorified, they remembered that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. The crowd who had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead were testifying about him. That's why the crowds came to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign that he had done. And then in the last verse of our scripture this morning, it almost sends us off in a different direction. It says, therefore, the Pharisees said to each other, they looked at each other and said, See, you've accomplished nothing. Look, the whole world is following him. This is the word of God for we the people of God and we say together, thanks be to God. Let's pray.
Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Again, again, he is obedient day after day after day, knowing what was coming, having some deep sense of what was ahead, and yet he keeps going. This scripture says that six days before the Passover, six more days, six more chances for Jesus to say, I'm done, I'm out. Six more days for Jesus to say, you know, I don't think I can go through it, or maybe there's a different way. Six more chances, and yet, day after day, he puts one foot in front of another. Long obedience in the same direction. He knew it was coming. And despite his obedience, despite his obedience, can you show up uh, verse 16? It says, his disciples didn't understand these things at first. Now here's a fact. You can write this down. Obedience is very often misunderstood. Obedience is very often misunderstood. We tend to think of obedience, you know, as, uh, as a parent looking down to a child, and then it's not misunderstood because it's forced, right? Right? I mean, you will obey what I say, and I'm watching you if not. It's not misunderstood then, it's forced. But I, I, I see, I know, I know what we're talking about. Every child in the room is like, yep, that's the way it is at my house. But what about for an adult? When you're not made to do something, and yet you do the right thing anyway, how many times is that misunderstood? You know it broke Jesus' heart. Three years in, and here he is doing what he's always done, and even the disciples are like, I don't get it. And yet one foot in front of the other, because that's who he is. This is what the scripture says. 2 Timothy 2.13 If we are disloyal, how about, how, about we, how about we edit that a little bit? When we are disloyal. Because every one of us is. When we are disloyal, he stays faithful. Because he can't be anything else than what he is. This is the God we serve. The first story this morning of the two stories, the first and primary story, the primary, the primary message of today is that Jesus Christ is loyal. Jesus Christ is faithful. Jesus Christ is obedient. I mean, that's the primary story, is that what God is doing in Jesus is obedient and faithful and true and can be trusted. That's the gospel. But, but it's worth saying that there's another, there's another story that, that was right before it. Did you catch it? 
I mean, Jesus is being obedient as he enters the town and for six days gets ready to celebrate the, the Passover and the meal that we'll, that we'll remember in just a moment. But before that, there was someone else who was being obedient and was also misunderstood. What about Mary? See, the thing is, John points out that Judas misunderstood, that Judas was fussing about it, but John also reminds us that Judas had a reason because the dude was a thief and was greedy and he wanted all that money to be put in the treasury so he could take his accounting fees, right? So he could, so he could claim his interest on it. But the other disciples wouldn't have understood either. Just like Jesus her obedience was misunderstood. Which makes me wonder, what does is, what is modern obedience like that look like? What about, what about at work being honest with hours and assets when you see people around you doing otherwise? What, is, what does obedience look like? What about, what, about it, what about at home driving the paid-for car a little longer because sticking to a budget to save for the future matters? What does obedience look like? What about, what about setting boundaries and dating and keeping them? when those boundaries are being loosened all around us? Or finally, what, a, what about practicing forgiveness? Because you don't want your heart hardened and you know that forgiveness is as much, as, is as much about you as it is about them. At the end of the Bible, in the New Testament, the writer of 2 John puts it this way. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to His commands. As you have heard from the beginning, His command is that you walk in love. Let's pray. Gracious God, you have created us and granted us freedom. Freedom beyond our ability. Freedom beyond our trustworthiness. Lord, with your Son, Jesus Christ, as the example, lead us in paths of obedience. As we draw closer to Easter, shape our hearts out of the love and mercy of Christ's obedience for us. Lord, prepare us for the celebration ahead, but show us the fullness of the gospel. So often misunderstood, That, that obedience is grounded 
in the larger story of your salvation of the world. This we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.